And today as a church, we begin a brand new journey as a people and as a family of God. Uh, The title of the sermon this morning is A Blessed Family. And as many of you know, this past summer, we didn't just have a sermon series of head knowledge and theology, which are obviously great things. Uh, We had a church-wide initiative, and I love that idea because it's not as if I'm just getting up here and talking to you, but as we take this journey as a church through the book of Ephesians now, there's something that I'm asking you to do. There, there's, a, there's a step of faith and obedience that I'm asking you to take as we read through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and this picture that I wanna paint over the next three months, this will not be a very long series, is that in Ephesians, what Paul shows us is that God is creating a family to restore this broken world. He's not just making a bunch of random individuals who he's at peace with. He's not just um, helping some people out. He's literally building a people, kind of like in the Old Testament with Israel, but today it's through the bride of Christ, the church. And what he is, is he's building us into something. And he is using us every single day to continue to bring forth his kingdom into the world until the day when Christ returns and it is finally fulfilled and we get to live in this kingdom forever. And as we walk through the book of Ephesians, what we will see is that Paul is telling this church that he originally planted that they are made new in Jesus Christ and therefore they should live like they are no longer condemned. I love the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, turn there with me uh, right now. I love the book of Ephesians because in my own personal life, God has used it. Um, It's one of the most well-known books of of the Bible, and it's a book that Paul wrote to a church that um, he had planted originally in an urban area called Ephesus. And as he writes this letter, uh, most scholars say that it's one of the most general letters that he writes in the sense that there's not a lot of personal greeting in it. And so what they believe is that he knew that the church he planted had multiplied. And so this church that he planted in an urban core began multiplying out through the outskirts of the city and the rural parts of the city. And he knows that they've multiplied. So now he's writing this letter that he would have intended the elders of the church to come before everybody like we're doing right now and to read aloud the message that Paul was giving them from prison. You gotta love Paul. I mean, ministering better than most of us do while he's locked up persecuted for his faith like many across the world today. And what Paul does when he writes the first 14 verses that we're going to read this morning is he begins his letter before he begins diving into a bunch of deep theology, though there is some of that this morning, before he begins to um, kind of work this out for us, he begins everything he's going to do by telling the church in Ephesus who they are. You see, we make a mistake a lot of times in the church. We try to tell people um, how to live before we tell them who they are. You see, the reason why a lot of people allow themselves to be abused, allow themselves to be taken advantage of, is because they don't realize they're really the children of God. We live life with guilt and we live life with shame and we feel bad about stuff. We realize that we're, we're not good enough. We see our selfishness and our sin And and we have a low view of who God has made us to be, and therefore we don't live up to the standard that we're called to live. And and even when we try to reach this standard, deep down we know we're not good enough, and so we never really reach it. 
and what Paul told the church in Ephesus, and what, what I want to tell you this morning, and I really want you to hear this and believe it, is you are a blessed family. You are blessed individuals. You are unique. You are made by God, and he loves you, like, a lot. And he loved you so much that he died for you, and he thinks you're special, and he wants the best for you, and he wants you to be a part of this family he's creating and this kingdom that he's bringing, and he wants you to have a special part in it, and he wants you to do great things in this world. You have a beautiful identity if you are in Christ Jesus. I talk to people all the time, and, you know, like, like especially like girls, you know, and they, the way they allow themselves to be treated, it's like, did no one ever tell you you're the precious daughter of God who is beautiful? And young men who try to act all tough when deep down they're insecure and they, they don't feel like they measure up. Did nobody ever tell you that your father loves you and is proud of you? So this morning, Wado, I want you to know before we begin this journey together, before we dive into theology and and, and, and wives and husbands and children and parents and faith by grace and all these ideas, I need you to know before we start that you are beautiful, that you are loved, that you are cherished by God, that he wants you, that he died for you, and that if you are in Christ, you are precious in his eyes. We are a blessed church, Wado. A few practical things that remind us of this that maybe we forget about is right now, every single Sunday at our church, there are four congregations that meet here on our facility. A year ago, we had two churches meeting here. A year later, we've doubled that number. There are four congregations that worship here on Sunday and all throughout the week. Back in July of 2013, On any given Sunday, we would have 99 people gathering with us. On a Sunday back in July 2013 that we averaged 99 people. And this past July, we just got the numbers. We averaged 145 people gathering with us every single Sunday. For those of you not good at numbers, that's that's 45% growth that gathers with us every single Sunday. 45%. We keep that up, we'll be just fine. Look at this chapel. Look at what God blessed us with. The money, the, the, the young men that came in here and ripped up carpet and, and, and took off old sheetrock and pulled up mildewed carpet because it had been sitting here for two years. Look at what we have. We don't need a building this nice, but we have it. And maybe the most important number is that, based on my indication, from 2012 to 2013, we baptized a total of seven people in this church. In two-year period, seven people And in the past month alone, including the people today, we've baptized, in the past four months alone, we've baptized nine people. You see, when you feel blessed, when you feel like God is moving, when you remember that you are making progress in your life and that God is changing you, you find the strength that you need to follow him well. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And before I begin this, I want to highlight something that I was very fascinated with this week, and I, I never realized it, that verses 3 through 14, verses 3 through 14 that we're going to read, in the original language written by Paul, 3 through 14 was literally one sentence. And so we're about to read the most beautiful run-on sentence of all time. And so essentially, Paul is like me, just rambling about how blessed we are. Okay, so let's stand together, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Let's hear Paul ramble about how awesome 
or how much God loves us in Christ. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, here begins the run-on sentence. Just, and I'm going to read it like a run-on sentence, just so you know. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen. Sit down. All right. Man, I... Um, you could spend like three years in Ephesians. I just want to throw that out there right now. Um, and before I begin to pull out a few themes here, I want to walk us very quickly, verse by verse, and I just want to relish in this. I want to, I want to think through it. I want to, I want to chew on a little bit because uh, I want you to know before we ask you to step out in faith, before I tell you to be like a family, before I tell you to do anything, I just want you to know how, all the things that God has done for you, Okay. So it says, Paul, as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul says, my identity, his whole identity, like when Paul introduces himself, he says, I am apostle of Christ Jesus. Uh, I have learned something, having moved back to the neighborhood recently. Um, one of the places that we go to, to maybe meet some new people in the neighborhood is the running club that's here in Oak Forest, or we go to the Oak Forest Homeowners Association. And I am honored to have conversations with people. And... Um, it's always awkward when I ask them what they do and they tell me what they do. And, and the fastest way to shut the conversation down is when they begin to ask me what I do, right? Um, because I don't think they initially think I'm, I don't think I look like maybe your average pastor. Um, at least a lot of people, they've never met a pastor before, so they have no idea. And we're talking and the conversation's going well and we get to know each other. I'm like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm the pastor of the church right down the street. And they're like, it gets really awkward, right? Because they don't know what to do. And the whole time, and I know what they're thinking, did I cuss? Did I cuss? Like, in the, the past, and, and I, they can't even cover their awkwardness, right? Like, how, how caught off guard they are. They're like, oh my gosh, did I cuss? Did I, did I refer to women in a derogatory manner, you know? Did I blaspheme, right? Like, I mean, did I make an off-color joke? I mean, they just, and it gets real weird, and all of a sudden their demeanor changes, because they're like, oh, you're a pastor, so you're weird, right? Like, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. 
And, and I tried my best in those conversations to, to get to know them. And I, I, I don't stop them every time they say a cuss word and say, don't cuss, I don't do that, you know, because I'm getting to know who they are in that moment, right? I'm not the morality police, I'm not the cussing police, you know? Um, I know some of the things you guys say when I'm not around too, so I, you guys change too when I come around. I've, I've seen it sometimes. I hear you. But Paul identifies himself as such because when Paul defines who he is, See, what you, the way you define yourself describes what you're about to do, okay? So if you're a teacher, that means you're about to educate some students, right? right? Like, so if I'm a pastor, that means I'm about to preach some sermons, and you know that. If you're a fireman, you're about to put out some fires. If you're an engineer, you're about to design some stuff. If you're an accountant, you're about to balance the books. And if you're a sinner, if you're imperfect, then what you're saying is you're about to mess everything up. But Paul says, I'm appointed by God. I'm an apostle of him. My identity is in Christ. And so I'm going to do great things. And so he continues writing on to the church. He said, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He, he refers to them as saints because they have received, they're in Christ. They have received the righteousness of Jesus. And then in verse 3, he says, blessed. I mean, this word blessing is all throughout the text. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the first thing we need to realize is that we are blessed in Christ. Okay, I want to explain what that means, right? So in the Bible, uh, in terms of describing Christians, the word Christian is used three times in Scripture, roughly. However, the phrase in Christ is used to describe believers roughly 260 times. In the Bible. This idea of being in Christ, and, and Paul keeps referring to it. He says in verse 3, God has blessed us in Christ. God chose us in him. In him we have redemption. In verse 11, in him we have an inheritance. Verse 13, in him you believed and were sealed. And in Christ, and this is, this is amazing, this is beautiful, this is awesome. And Christ means that you were joined with Jesus. And you get every good thing that he has. This is why Paul refers to salvation in verse 5 as adoption. So in God's eyes, salvation is not just getting right with God, though that's part of it. Salvation is joining a family. And when you join a family, all of a sudden you become an heir to every material possession and every dollar that family has. That's the benefit of being adopted by a rich family and not just being a friend of a rich family. Amen? You get everything in Christ that Jesus has. You know why when you die, you don't have to be separated from God forever? You know why death is not painful for us as Christians? Because Jesus already died a painful death. He already got credit. He already paid it in full. And so now we get the credit for somebody who already died that we may live now. And Jesus gets to know God directly. And so that's why we say in Christ we get to come to the Father. Because Jesus knows God very, very well. And so now in Christ we know God very well. And we have direct access. So you know that you can pray to God, whoever you are, and you can immediately talk with him. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You can talk to God directly because you're what? In Christ. 
And so this idea of in Christ means we're in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. I love this idea. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 through 22. Uh, this is Paul writing. He says, For as by a man came death, a man being Adam when he walked away from God, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. Wow, you have two choices this morning. You can be in Christ or you can be in Adam. And we were born in Adam. We were born in sin, right? We were born uh, separate from God, departed from him. It wasn't going well. We were in Adam, so we, get, we got everything that Adam got. Adam got death. Adam got pain. Adam got uh, a lot of strife. Because we were part of Adam's family. But then in verse 5... It says that the will of God was to adopt us, to give us a new family in Christ. And so whereas the family of Adam was a dysfunctional family, anyone here got a dysfunctional family? Raise your hand. You ever seen a dysfunctional family? Don't say nothing. Dysfunctional families uh, have dysfunctional offspring. That's just the way it is. Let's be honest. And the reason why that's not an offensive statement is because all of us have dysfunctional families. Because we're all sinful. We're all selfish. And we're all born into it. So if your family's dysfunctional, don't feel bad. We're all dysfunctional. It's okay. And we got the chance in Jesus to go from being in Adam to now in Christ. No longer receiving death in this life, but receiving life eternal. And so what Paul says is that in Christ we get all this, and in Christ we are blessed. I love the story of the woman on the well, I mean the, the, the woman caught adultery in John chapter 8, when basically the Pharisees trying to trip up Jesus, bring a lady who was caught in adultery, which I don't know how they found a woman caught in adultery, that's kind of creepy, but they found a woman caught in adultery, and they bring her before Jesus, and they say, okay, religious leader, and the law says that women who do this should be stoned, so what are we going to do? Because the whole time Christ was preaching love and forgiveness and mercy, and they're like, if we can get him to condemn this lady, then he's basically a fraud and he's a liar. And Jesus says that famous line in church, he who is without sin casts the first stone. So everybody walks away, everybody leaves, and it's just Jesus and the lady. And he says, where are, your com- where are the people who were trying to stone you and kill you? Who, who are the people that are going to condemn you? She said, they've all left. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and condemn yourself no more. You see, Jesus changes her identity, saying you're not condemned, so quit taking, letting people take advantage of you. There's, there's two common ideas in the world today. There's religious, and there's like this atheistic worldview. And so like the religious worldview says that if you don't do good things, you're condemned. Because religion defines you by what you do. And so if you do bad things, then you deserve death. And so religious people dress themselves up to look all good. They look at other people who make mistakes, and they say, well, they're not good people, therefore they don't deserve eternal life with God. So it's all about what you do that defines you. And and atheism says, well, there is no God, there is no morality, there really is no standard in this life. So the woman caught adultery, she can do whatever she wants to do. She can make her own morality, she can sleep around with everybody, do anything she wants to do. But the problem with that idea And what the Bible constantly says is that we often use our freedom to allow ourselves to be abused. 
And so even in that worldview, she might have freedom, but she's being abused and taken advantage of of these people. Then there's a third option. There's Jesus. There's, there's in Christ. And the Jesus option is to forgive and change. There is like no moral standard anymore, it feels like, in our world, at least in our country, right? There's so much plurality. There's so many different ideas. And I think what it causes is for like the super religious people to become super strict and rigid. And the people who have freedom just kind of really go off the deep end all over the place, right? Like nothing is sacred. We can do whatever you want. And that leads to some really weird stuff, i.e. like the internet. Like check out the internet. The internet is the definition of human free will. Just throwing that out there. It's depraved. It's evil. It's people who have no restraint. And Paul paints this image in Ephesians 1. That we're not just blessed in Christ, but we are family in Christ. It's the second thing. In Ephesians uh, Verse 5, it says, uh, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons to Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Man, I love that. Verses 2 and 3, Paul refers to God as a father. In Ephesians 4, he refers to me and you as brothers and sisters. In Ephesians 5, he refers to the church as the what of Christ? The bride. And it's kind of like a couple weeks ago when we were talking about like delighting in the Lord. We say that, but do we really do it? Like the Bible literally describes us as a family. But do we believe that and do we live like that? Like do you really see me as your brother? Like, like what if your image of me could change to like I'm like your brother up here opening God's word and talking with you. And what if, this fam- what if this church was really legitimately like a spiritual family and we literally treated each other and loved each other and forgave each other like a family does to each other? And what if we really viewed God as our father who loved us and wanted to take care of us? I mean, can you imagine a five-year-old kid who thought he didn't need his parents? A five-year-old kid who, who I, mean, I ran away once, I remember, for like an hour, and, and like you, you, you walk out your house, walk down the street. Like a five-year-old kid that packed his bags and walked out in the street, that left his house, they didn't need his mother and father, it would end in tragedy, wouldn't it? Guaranteed tragedy. And that's what happens to the children of God when we walk out of the kingdom of God and say, you know what? I don't need you, God. I'm going to set my own rules. I don't think there's anything wrong with walking across the street at 43rd and Antoine. I think I'll be just fine. No, you won't. It's like in Matthew 19 when Jesus says, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Why does God say the kingdom of heaven belongs to children? I believe it's because he was telling us that's our place in the kingdom. That's our place in the family of God is is brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the most high God. 
but we just view God as like a rule mongerer and a rigid rule giver, an abusive father, and we don't realize that God loves us. And I'll close with this. Paul continues on and he says, um, he predestined us for adoption as sons. And then he says, in him we have the redemption through his blood. So we're forgiven by what he has done because we're in Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. God doesn't just give us grace. He like smothers us in his grace, right? Just like, you know, just lathers it up, right? I mean, he just gives so much to us that your sin cannot outrun the grace of God. And then it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So when Christ came, no longer, you you don't need agnosticism because he made clear the mystery of his will. There's no more uncertainty because the certain God has come and he is Jesus and it is clear. And then he says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So he unites all things, he unites all people. He says he works all things according to his purpose. It's like Proverbs 16, 9, where it says that a man in his heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his step. It's like life is this huge funnel that we're walking through the whole time. It's like Google Maps, right? You miss the turn, all of a sudden it immediately recalculates, and God is never more than a prayer away, no matter how far you go. And so everything we do, every mistake we make, he is ultimately working it according to his will, according to his glory. That's why it says that every knee will bow. Everything is working. Every action that happens today, every bird that is singing, every person that's here, God is working all of us in accordance to his will. And then Paul closes by saying, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And church, we're gonna dive into this book, and we're gonna, we're gonna chew on it, and it's gonna be awesome, and we're gonna... We're going to explore the depths of God, but it it doesn't mean anything if we don't really realize that God loves us and that we're a family. And that Sunday morning should just be like a family reunion. That's all this is, right? And I want to encourage you today, if you've come in here and and you're you're not a believer and, and you are convicted by who you are and you know you're not good enough and you know your life isn't going as planned and it's falling apart and you can't figure out what it is and I just want to tell you this morning that in Christ is where humans find everything they desire. It it makes everything make sense. It's the forgiveness for the mistakes that we constantly make. And no matter what you think you are this morning, God gets to determine who you are. And he says, you're awesome, and you're wonderful, and you're beautiful. Yeah, you're a sinner, but he loves you nonetheless, and he wants you to come home. Quit being the rebellious team and come back into the kingdom of God because God has prepared for you literally a place at the table with your name on it.
And God gets to determine who you are. You see, God created the world. And so God gets to determine the purpose and the fate of the world. It is not politicians. It's not an asteroid. It is God who determines the ultimate fate of the world. God created music. So he determines what it's used for. He determines that all music is used to glorify his name. He determines that music is a beautiful thing. Not rock stars, not musicians, not record labels, not you and not me. God created time. So he determines when things happen and when things don't happen. Not our feelings or not what we want. God created marriage, so he gets to determine what it is. Not you, not me, not politicians, not the government, not tradition, not culture, not the flavor of the week. It is God who created it, and God determines what it is. God created this church, and so God gets to determine what this church is about. God gets to determine that we're all about making disciples. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think. God created it, and God said that we are a family brought together in him, and that we are beautiful in his sight because we are in Christ, and we receive his forgiveness, and God has determined this. The case is closed. And God created you, and God gets to determine who you are, and God gets to determine that you're beautiful, and God gets to determine that you're awesome and that he loves you. It is not that person who crushes you, that negative person who tears you down. It is not that, that struggling relationship or that boss that's so hard on you. It's not the feelings inside of you. It's not what other people say about you. You are who God says you are, and God says that you are beautiful in Christ. And that's all there is to it. And if we believe that this morning, then the next three months are going to be a transformative journey in our lives that makes us the family we need to be to restore this world around us. And if we believe this, if we know that God has said who we are and we are conquerors in Christ, then it's time to start living like it. No more gossip, no more hate, no more negativity, no more competition. Just love and care for God and the brothers and sisters of his church. That's all we do. I love you. And God loves you. And if you want salvation this morning, you find it in Jesus Christ. We're going to baptize people this morning. It's a wonderful Sunday. And God loves these people. He loves us. And I'm fired up for this journey. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning. There's no speculation about who we are. Lord, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have a beautiful inheritance. For those of us who are in you, it is going to work out in the end. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. For those of us who are, who are in you, God, we realize that this church is our family. These are our brothers and our sisters, and we are called to do life together and to make disciples together, Father. And God, as awesome as this sounds, God, I pray for people in this room, God, who are not a part of this family. I pray for people who are doing life on their own, who are the rebellious teens who have walked away from their father's house and have tried to to run away from home and determine their own life and their own being and their own morality, God, their own salvation. God, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus that you'd bring them home. Bring them home to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Bring them into this family 
in the name of Jesus Christ. God, help us to live in light of the way that you see us and not what the world says we are. In the name of Jesus, I dismiss all guilt and all shame, all pain, all corruption, all sin, all addiction. I, I, in the name of Jesus, I, I abolish those in this room because that's not who we are anymore. I pray for repentance and turning back to you in our lives and our attitudes and our actions, God. And I pray that as we baptize these beautiful young people in the name of Jesus, that you would chart their life for you and that you would encourage this family here this morning, God. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen.